Hi, I'm Cheryl and Fenn. Hello, this is Christabel. Hello, this is Michael Horse. Do you enjoy listening to Twin Peaks Unwrapped, the podcast? Have you picked up our book yet? Twin Peaks Unwrapped, the book. That has over 100 cast and crew who have contributed to this book. And it's, I think people really love it. I mean, we also have community commentary where a lot of the community have participated in this. It's just a great book. We recommend you pick it up at bluerosemag.com. Thank you for your interest and for your enthusiasm and, and keeping Twin Peaks alive. I've got idea man You take me for a walk Under the sycamore tree The dark trees that blow In the dark trees that blow And And welcome to this week's edition of Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host via FaceTime, Brian Kazaska, and through the internet is... Ben Durant. Ben, this is our first time having a show um, literally an hour and a half after the show premiered through the internet. Yeah, I'm not going to get a few days to actually uh, think about this, digest this, come up with all these theories. It's kind of like instant. We're going in this ready to uh, start talking about it. And so it's going to be very interesting. So I'm sure throughout the week people will have uh, comments and a whole bunch of other things to say about what we – we might miss tonight, but I think this is going to be very interesting. Um, it was a great episode. An I excellent mean, episode. One of the best. I think it's one of the best of the season, and partly because we got so much of Twin Peaks, so many of the characters that we know and love. And we got to see Doc Hayward. Doc Hayward. And, like, isn't it so fitting that on Father's Day, you know, Mark Frost's dad, that we would get to see him. It's really touching and special. Yeah, I, that's a great point. I know it's Father's Day. I, I celebrated it yesterday uh, with my dad. But today is Twin Peaks Day, and it's so weird. <laughs> but you're so right. It is very fitting. It was so awesome to see him. And it's interesting. He was using Skype. Yes. In his performance, where we're using almost the same thing in our performance tonight. Mighty good talking to you, Doc. I'll give your good wishes to Harry. Whatever this is about, well, I hope it turns out right for you. So this episode starts off with Jerry Horn in the woods. Oh, my God. <laughs> he's like, he doesn't know where he is. He calls he's his high. brother Ben, and he's like, <laughs> there's like a, they're, they're having trouble talking to each other, and it's clear that he like, doesn't know where his car is. Did you have a moment where you thought that Ford truck Richard was driving last week yes. was his car. Yes, I did. I was having. I, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, I was like, oh my god. But later in the episode, I think we learned it's somebody else's car. Yes. That um, Andy comes to visit and wants to ask about. Yeah. But and, yeah, my my first thought was too. It was like, oh, 
<laughs> Richard had that vehicle, and maybe it's Jerry's, but it wasn't. But again, it makes me think of this whole kind of thing where he's kind of not sure where he is. It still reminds me of Cooper, where Cooper's kind of lost in space and time in his own way. That's a great connection right there. And then we're, we're at the police station. Hawk is showing... Frank Truman, The Diaries of Laura Palmer. This is the first time I think we were all right about a theory. I mean, how exciting. It was so exciting that we all thought this. Everybody, everybody, this has got to be Laura Palmer's diary. And we were all right. This doesn't happen very often. And I think we should all celebrate tonight. Oh, yeah. I I think a lot of us were right about Diane the week before. I think we all thought that's why I think we're in sync here with Frost and Lynch for once. But uh, it was so good to to have them talk about the diary and then have Annie be coming from Firewalk with me that say, write it in your diary. So all this talk about Annie's not alive. She is. She does exist in this timeline. I don't think we're going to see Annie. But the fact that she is mentioned just gives me makes me giddy i was mm. so excited i was smiling ear to ear i'm like yes the diary and any now we're missing a fourth page yes so hawk mentions that he, he yeah he put it together that i love i love what he he kind of like outlines the whole thing which is brilliant he talks about how they had gotten the diary from harold and that they've been missing pages from harold when they got the diary from harold and then he seems to be saying there was one other page missing and then he seems to say he, he puts it together that it was most likely Leland who had the diary pages. And it was probably one of the times that he had to come to the police station, maybe concerned that somebody would check him and find those diary pages. Now, that that is one theory none of us really. I, no, I don't remember all. anybody saying it was Leland. We were all saying, was it Laura? Was right. it like all these other people? I don't right. think Leland didn't even cross my mind that he would be the one to do that. Hmm. How would have Leland got his hands on those pages? When you think about the end of Firewalk with Me, we're in the train car and Leland is hovering over Laura and you go back and forth between Bob and Leland. Oh, diary. I always thought you knew it was me. Also, she gave the real diary to Harold because she knew the pages were being ripped out. Wouldn't the whole Annie thing... Wouldn't that have been in the diary that those pages weren't ripped out? Uh, yeah, I, here's the thing. Is I, if I remember that Firewalk with me, <laughs> she had already given the diary to Harold, and then she had the dream with Annie. Then would she have put it in her second diary? You know, like, like she had two diaries. Or could she have written it down and then never put it in the diary? Like, could these pages be... Like separate pages that were would have belonged in the diary. It's logistics here. I still right? think I, that I still think they did a pretty yeah. good job of explaining yeah. it that it could have been Leland. I love that scene. I love that we get some detail of the past. Hawk, he goes that place, the Black Lodge. He's the one that explains to Cooper about the lodges in the original Twin Peaks. I kind of wanted Hawk to go there again, but he, the way he said it was just kind of like this place. He forgot. Why well, do I don't think he forgotten? You know, he's investigating this, and he goes out in the woods. The logley calls him, and he's right yeah. there in the sycamore trees. So to me, he either he knows where the sycamore trees is a gateway to the lodge, or he at least remembers that was the last place that Cooper was, where he you know disappeared and then came back. I also wonder, like how I think he he gives 
enough information to Frank that he thinks he can handle. Because Frank is not a... I don't think Frank Truman is a believer. Like, he goes... He's going along with it, but I don't know how much... Mm. <laughs> I don't know how much... That's a good point. Gonna, he, he's going to really agree with it. And, and I feel like in some ways... um the old Truman there was the same way there that he, you know, he believed so much. Okay. That's fair enough. I mean, I kind of wanted Hawk to go the black, but you're right. Maybe he's just giving information that he knows he could handle because he's dealing, he's dealing with a overbearing wife. Um, <laughs> the lot loss of it, you know, oh, his child. kid. Yeah. And then at the same time, he's kind of balancing a professional police department and then dealing with a flaky <laughs> Lucy Oh. Andy, 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 this tells me in this show, we'll, we'll, we'll just cut to Andy real quick. I just want to touch upon his character. Andy was a badass this t- tonight. Um, I thought he was like, he acted like a cop. I kind of feel like there's something wrong with Lucy, that he's coddling her for some reason. Something happened. She's just not with it. But when he was out in the field today, he seemed like a normal policeman. He wasn't being goofy. He was Mm. being straightforward. And I liked that. It was good to see Andy like that. So I kind of feel like Frank, you know, Frank's dealing with this, the oddballs. Yeah. And then uh, Chad, you know, nobody likes Chad. So he's got a lot of his play. But I will say too, the the scene between Hawk and Truman, I thought there was a lot of detail that came out. Even Hawk seemed to say that, you know, okay, there was a good Cooper that's stuck in the lodge and that must mean that the bad cooper came out so he's put it all together and you yeah. wonder like where's this storyline going because cooper supposedly is already out in the real world as dougie so like why but nobody knows that yeah but why did so what is hawk gonna do with that information it's not like if he could even get into the black lodge cooper wouldn't be there anymore right so gordon cole and albert meeting diane and they're putting the pieces together that this is not cooper and, and what do you think of Diane? That <laughs> what? Uh, I loved it. Her performance was amazing. I mean, she's not what I ever expected, and she seems really pissed off at everybody. She's pissed off. I think she's just mad about being in the situation she was in. When she meets Cooper, she goes, "Do you remember Mr. that C. night, Mister C?" When she when she meets, do you remember that night? Of course, I remember that night. Do, do you feel they had some relations? Mr. C and her. When was the last time we saw each other, Cooper? At your house. That's right. Do you remember that night? I'll always remember that night. Same for me. I'll never forget it. I thought the scene was great. A part of me was scared when Albert comes in and tells uh, Gordon Cole, well, she told me to go fuck myself, so I'm done. And I'm like, (laughs) is that all they're going to do? Yes. (laughs) I was scared. It seems like for so long we've been getting these little pieces, and this episode gave us so much. We go to Diane's place, and then they convince her, and they get on a plane, and they actually go to the prison, and Diane actually has conversation with Mr. C and like all this thing happened which could have happened in four episodes but they actually gave us so much in this one episode to touch on about the plane Tammy brings up the fingerprints are backwards mm. or reverse which was interesting and uh, Gordon Cole brings up the very being backwards Irev the backwards word asked Tammy to put her hands out yeah. and each finger was 
was one word signify that maybe he was supposed to use a specific finger when he was saying that to Gordon Cole. To uh, South Dakota, the military sees the body of Major Briggs. The body is of a 40 some odd year old, recently died. So it's like, yeah, it seems like Major Briggs from 25 years ago. I think he disappeared. I think he went in the lodge like he did before. Mm. He went somewhere, maybe looking for Cooper. Maybe he knew something was going on and he disappeared like he always does. And then he reappeared and Mr. C killed him. Mm. Cut off his head. Like, you, nobody's going to know who you are if I cut your head off. And now the military's like, wait a minute. We've, you know, we've had these things happen with his fingerprints, but it's never him. And she, and she goes, she goes, no. I saw the body. The fingerprints mm. are his fingerprints. He's missing a head. It's starting to come together. I mean, these yeah. pieces are starting to come together. Then the freakiest thing of the episode is we have, I think it's the same guy, the man in black that is kind of like burnt or yeah. he's like walking down the hall of this morgue area and it's like creepy. And where is he going? Because he's in, he's in the morgue. I want to know who he's going after. Is he there to stop someone finding out whose body that is? You mentioned Andy. He finds this guy who it seems to be the truck that hit the child in the previous episode. And the guy says, I know who, who took the truck and I'll tell you, but I can't do it here. And so yes. Andy says, okay, I'll meet you such and such location. And Andy goes there and the guy doesn't show up. And they zoom into the door. The right. door is like half open. Like he's scared to be from somebody that's around. I think he's scared of Richard. Could kill him. I, is Richard that scary? I don't know what it is. He's a little psychotic. It might not be Richard. It might be Fred. Yes, that's interesting. Andy says 4.30. The giant or not the giant talks to Cooper and mentions 4.30. Four three uh -huh. zero, and this is the time that Andy's supposed to meet with this guy. And Mr. C has made a deal to basically escape jail and take Ray with him. And he's got some information on the warden. He's able to get out of jail. Yeah, and he had a gun pointing at him. Turned off the cameras. Is he going to shoot Mr. C? And he's just like, <laughs> if you shoot me, they're going to come after you. It seems like Mr. C has so many things in place. Cut to Dougie. I did not expect Dougie to be walking out there. Ike the Spike come flying out with a gun. Dougie just taking him down in the in the arm or now the twig. Please his hand off. Please his hand off. But he melted his hand almost to the gun. Yeah, that was really bizarre. The whole flesh thing. The, the principal and having the flesh in his car. Yes, and it was underneath the cooler. Yeah, it felt like Cooper was getting back again. Like he was getting his moves now. Like he seems like he's, he's getting closer to becoming the Cooper that we love. It's interesting because you think after this episode, one more, mm -hmm. and we might get Cooper back. Yes. But a lot of the theories, we, we need to combine these two Coopers. And I kind of go with that because... Mm -hmm. He is like, he is slowly just there. He just doesn't know you're how saying, to function. You're saying he can't become real Cooper until Mr. C is dead? I think they're all, they're the same person, so. And I believe um, that, I believe that for 25 years, but I say yeah. regular Cooper comes back by the end of the next episode. Actually, I didn't think, he, I didn't think we were going to see Dougie Cooper in this episode because it was like a, a half hour in, at 36 minutes in before we saw Dougie. And I was like, oh, we're not going to even get him. <laughs> he's he's just hanging out, writing, scribbling around. <laughs> and then the police show up. And I'm thinking, oh, good, they're going to arrest his co-worker who's 
been scamming the insurance company. But oh no, they're here about his car. <laughs> yeah. And then his wife comes in and chews him out, and it's like, he's like, why do you need a car? It's like, why this day and age? What you know? Like, she, she's so funny. Oh, she is great. And, and like the the police are like. We did find the car. They're like, why didn't you just tell us you found the car? Yes. She turned it around onto them, and they were just kind of like, okay, call us in the morning, and we'll we'll discuss stuff. Was Cooper having that moment of clarity to take down somebody? It was awesome. You're right. He's getting his groove back. Cooper's getting his groove back. Will we see the real Cooper, or we're going to have to wait? I still think it's going to be near the very end. Next week. I feel. Next week. We, we'll see. We'll see. And this is it. I mean, this is great because it's only a week away. So we, we will know at least whether I'm right or if uh, it's going to be a little longer. Yeah. I mean, the way things are moving, you could be right. It could be the, the next half of the series, the real Cooper's back. But what about Mr. C? I mean, it's gonna. there's going to be a battle between good Cooper and bad Cooper. I think it's going to be a showdown, and that's probably... It'll probably take till the end of the season, end of the series. There's a scene where we're at the Great Northern, and you're panning, and you're looking around, and it's like, oh, this is the moment I was got so giddy and excited. Audrey Horn! Yes, and no. nothing. We I, got I, Beverly. Beverly and Ben Horn in his office, and they're hanging around because they hear a sound in the room, and they go from... <laughs> Corner to corner. It's Josie. It's Josie. It's funny. It could be. You never know. Did you think it was Josie? I, I kinda... did not think it was Josie. I was. Um, my fear was it was going to be like the ghost of Audrey Horn. <laughs> well, here let's touch upon let's touch upon Audrey Horn though. Did they mention? Did I hear this right? Did yes. they say Audrey was in a coma and Cooper was visiting her? Richard, the love child of Mister C. And Audrey. Who knows? That would take that out of the tape. Why mean, would he's it? Not, he may well, have gone to the hospital. Well, because she was in a coma. <laughs> oh, oh. Let's not go there then. With Ben and Beverly, they definitely seems to be, they like each other. There seems to be some yeah. chemistry. And Ben has been resisting. Beverly knows that she shouldn't be with him because she's she has a husband. But we then meet the husband that he's actually ill. And I really liked it. I thought um, it gave another dimension to the show. We get to see her life. And I like how she's just pissed off. She seems angry and mad. There's something going on there where mm. he's sick. She doesn't know what to do. Maybe he doesn't know what to do. They're just stuck. I thought the acting was amazing. I felt like I was watching a completely different show at that point. Hmm. Storyline kind of goes to... Um, Roadhouse. I thought the credits were going to roll over the guy <laughs> sweeping the floor. It went on forever. It was the guy with the milk all over again. I know. I was sitting with my wife and I was like, oh man, this is going on too long. Like It's just like you're going to sweep every... I could just see David Lynch like saying, okay, we're going to record for like 10 minutes and just keep on sweeping. And then he decides, yeah, we're going to use it all. Yes. <laughs> But in the background... Roadhouse has been owned by the Renault family for, for 57 years. We're not going to lose it now because of a, a couple of 15-year-old straight-A students. No, no. So, yeah, he was like two 15-year-olds, A-plus whores. He's whoring out girls, and they were underage. Right, and at one point, though, he, he thought he could jeopardize his business. I like this whole giving us the backstories and explaining things to other people. It was really cool. Well done. 
enjoyable. The yeah. episode ends with the uh, double R. Have you guys seen Billy? Played by Riley Lynch. I think that guy who Andy talks to is Billy. Now, as the credits are going, there's a guy in a booth that his back is to us. And I almost felt yes. like it looked, It reminded me of Bobby Briggs. It probably isn't Bobby Briggs, but it kind of looked a little bit like Bobby Briggs from the back. Oh, yeah. And it was cool to see everybody's working. It's like a nighttime. It's busy. I kind of like this atmosphere shot of just watching the town live it's a living town and you get to see everybody working it's, it was a cool i liked it a lot hmm. and i think your theory about how if these were two episodes a night kind of feel like the next episode will take us right back into maybe the beverly stuff and it played back to back it would be more cohesive yes. but they always give us that weird static shot of dougie looking at shoes hmm. or uh this shot in its place it surely does feel like a long movie because I just want more and more when it ends. Totally. I'm going to throw a wild theory out there. So I think it was John Thorne on Twitter. or There was some talk on Twitter about is Cooper in a dream or in a state, in a different state of mind. Mm. And it got me thinking about a coma. Is Cooper in a coma? Mm. And is Cooper in a coma? When you fall asleep and you're watching TV, things sometimes soak into your dream. Countless times as a teenager I fell asleep and I would wake up and have weird dreams because the TV was on all night. Right. So I kind of like envision Cooper being in a coma. It may be somewhere where there's a TV where Invitation to Love is playing. Invitation or something like that, love. right? Mm. And this weird soap operas playing in the background and that's Dougie's life this is weird soap opera and he is he can't talk because he's in a coma and his brain he doesn't know how to function so he he he's just barely doing things in this dreamlike state because he physically can't do them it's a wacky theory because I I don't think it's true there's no evidence because the keys so the keys to me are is the uh, the connecting piece between Dougie's world and Twin Peaks? Mm. So, so the keys make it, which we both we like. Oh, it's going to be Audrey. I know, but it's Beverly. Right, Beverly has the keys. But Ben Horn is the one that actually realizes the keys once belonged to Dale Cooper. Yes, yes, and my theory gets blown out of the water because of those keys. But my other thought is, if he was in a coma and those keys were dropped and they were mailed there and it wasn't from jade it but i don't know i well, it's just a crazy is, you know, theory I think, I think we always make lynch's work more complicated than it is and i think he sometimes will say that it, it's more simple than we g give it credit for so i yeah 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 i i sure i wrestle with the whole dream thing too just for the fact that like one our man says wake up and yes there's, and there's don't so many die. things like the sycamore sycamore street and there's all these little things that seem almost dreamlike but lynch's work is always dreamlike so I mean, the more i think about it i can't imagine they want to make it so complicated to be like oh the first nine episodes you watch or first eight episodes you watch were all dreams and like would they really want to make it that i don't know if they want to make it that complicated i don't think it makes it see for me it doesn't make it complicated um i the reason why it makes it interesting because you're watching someone because the one-armed man does say, don't die, wake up. Mm. And for me, that was saying, like, if you don't get out of this coma or this dreamlike state, you could die. You need to get out of it. Um, but also with, like, the spike showing up, that's 
that is another connection outside of Dougie's world into Mr. C's world. Mm. So therefore, I don't I, – that blows the theory out of the water a little bit too. How does that connect? So all these little things yeah. kind of break that theory up. But right. And when I, you I mentioned like, Spike, Spike usually has a spike, but he 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 wrecked it last episode, and so he had he was forced to have a gun. But you wonder how things would have turned out if he had a spike, because that's his like weapon of choice. So he's yeah. probably not as good with a gun, and so Cooper is able to take him down. Some karate chops to the old uh, neck there, yeah. because the way it's filmed, it's very bright. It's almost like when you go back to Gordon Cole, it's more the way it's filmed is a little mm. bit differently. The The colors are not as bright. That's true. Who knows what Dougie represents because he was manufactured. Um, there's so many theories and questions. It's great, though. I mean, the fact that we can even entertain the idea that he could be in a dreamlike state or a coma is interesting. But I don't know. I think he's just in someone else's body. I, you know, but I, don't think I, don't know. I don't think it's quantum leap either. I think he's, I feel like Cooper is in Cooper's own body. I think that's funny too. I hear different theories and stuff like that. I don't think, I think Cooper is in his own body and we, and Dougie went to the black lodge and was in his own body. I, I've heard theories. I think Cooper is Cooper. I don't think he's, I don't think he's in anybody else's body. I think that is mm. his body. No, you, you, no, you're absolutely right on that one because when Cooper takes over Dougie's place. Dougie goes in the Black Lodge, and his wife says, "Oh, you lost a lot of weight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your right. hair, uh, your hair is different. Right, right, yeah. right, right. So you're right. You're right. It is physically Cooper, but everybody thinks it's Dougie. And when you see the photos, when Ike is looking at the photos, you actually see a picture of Dougie, and he's fat. His hmm. cheeks are big, and his hair. That's an interesting photo. His tie is reversed, and you see, and his hair is blown back, and he <laughs> he looks like someone always in the media. And I'm not going to mention that person's name, but if you look at that photo, it's very interesting. I think it's Mark a little. Frost mentions him every once in a while. Yes, yeah. If you follow my Twitter, you can figure that out. I think next week is a big episode. I really do. Seeing this episode even proves my theory even more. I feel like so much happened in this episode because we have to do, like, kind of wrap things up next week. We're just about done with the whole job for Dougie. I mean, I think probably that co-worker will probably go to jail or get in trouble or whatnot. But I feel like there's not much left to tell with Dougie's home life. So I met with them, I told them what the arrangements were gonna be, and I gave them more than they deserved, and that's the end of them, okay? Now, with this car business, yes, there's gonna be some insurance money. I don't know how much, but Dougie, just think, if you hadn't blown that money gambling, 25,000 plus the insurance, we could have gotten you a great new car. But now, who knows what we'll get. But I do not want you running off and gambling any more of that jackpot. That money is for Sunny Jim and our future. Just because you have it now doesn't mean you can just run off and risk one more penny. Do you hear me? No more getting... Maybe that, like, having that near-death experience could have snapped him out of it a little bit. Maybe, and I think he sees the gun and, like, at the end of the cowboy, and the, we see the, the badge, right? There's all these different things that keep on triggering his, remembering his old life. So I think we're just about there. So after that, they go to this really on, like, a uh, shaky cam, like, news footage of people being interviewed, and they go to a little girl, and the little girl says, he smelled funny, and about Ike, I guess. Um, and I was like, hmm, he smells funny, like, burnt 
engine oil. They did burn his flesh, right? Isn't oh. that his flesh? Well, yeah, I wasn't sure if she said he smelled funny as he was running towards Cooper or after. But yeah, his hand was literally melted a chunk off onto the gun, which could maybe get them prints, but it was like the palm. It looked like a palm, so I don't know if they could get it. They have DNA. That's about it, I guess. I don't feel like there's a lot of theories in this one. I felt it was very straightforward. And I really think we're just... It's just getting us to next week. They were moving pieces along. We have Hawk moving things along. We have the Dougie storyline moving along. We have Gordon Cole storyline moving along. We've got uh, Mr. C and Ray on the loose. I'm guessing they're going to go find Betty now. And I'm telling you, I, I think other people have said this, but I think it's going to be Betty Briggs. Yes. The sec- yes. secretary. The secretary of the principal is Betty Briggs. Charlotte Stewart. Let's hope. No. Let's- now, why do you think we didn't see Audrey? I want to entertain this. Why? Because they're they're making us wait, I guess. I mean, the fact that you, they said something, though, I think I mean, I mean, think they're just hinting it. She's a fan favorite. Just like Diane and other things, they're kind of just making us wait another episode or two, hopefully. Because she didn't get those keys, and we got to see the Great Northern, I don't know. Part of me feels like Audrey's not working for the Great Northern. Hmm. Beverly, to me anyway, somewhat looks like Audrey Horn. Hmm. Slightly, and I, I was wondering if Ben's looking at her like like a daughter figure. But then really? I was like, no, no, there's something else going there. She does remind me uh, of an Audrey Horn, and now that we haven't seen her, it makes me feel like Audrey's not working there. I don't mm. know. She could be something else doing something else. I don't know. The Great, the Great Northern's a pretty big place, and we haven't seen much of it. So she, she might, maybe she had the day off, or we, I think we might still see her. I'm thinking her and Billy Zane got back together. No, get out of here. Wheeler, <laughs> and they have a kid. You're the worst, Brian. You are the worst. <laughs> Wheel, the Wheeler family. No way. You don't think so? Nope. We got to see Billy Zane's sweaters come back into the picture. Come on. Oh, man. It was a really good show, and it was great to see uh, Doc Hayward. My highlight was Doc Hayward. How about mm. you? What was your What was your big highlight of this one? I mean, it was, it was definitely between that. Uh, it was definitely between that and Hawk and Laura Palmer Diary, and that it connects it to Annie. It's like the 25-year wait to see what happens with Annie telling Laura to write down in her diary but we waited tw- i mean i've waited 25 years yes. to see would anybody ever get that message and here we go we have hawk who's finally getting that message i really just want to watch firewalk with me again i don't know even though we just watched it like seven weeks or four weeks or five weeks ago i just want to re-watch it again because i feel like there's so many connections i might be missing and uh, I don't know. August is the 25th anniversary, so we should definitely watch it again for the 25th anniversary. We should. But yeah, this episode was just amazing. Amazing. I Every episode, we're saying this, and I that's know. a great it's thing. So that's, it's so good. It's so good. I mean, and it's like it's satisfying, and I feel like they know what the audience wants. They know what the fans want, and they're giving it to us. And I, I, yeah, I'm so so happy. Yeah. We have the second part of Andreas' interview. What is your thoughts on the new series? Oh, I absolutely love it so far. I mean, I did an article on it that I've called No Place Like Home. We know that The Wizard of Oz is sort mm. of a, a typical point of reference for, for David Lynch, at least. And I think that thematically it's about returning. It's about 
coming home and it's about, mm-hmm. I suppose, becoming whole. Um, so I think that the, there's a lot to be said for the fragmented style in the first at least four episodes. I suppose at least the first three episodes or parts, I should call them. The first three parts are so boldly fragmented hmm. and strange and out there. And uh, especially the opening of part three. I absolutely love that. To me, it's sort of, uh, it mirrors Dale Cooper's attempt to return to Twin Peaks and his attempt to find himself mm. and to become one again or to become whole. And I think that uh, what we will be seeing in, in the course of these 18 parts, and this is pure guesswork, uh, tomorrow I might uh, look like an idiot, right? But I think what we'll be seeing is somewhat like uh, Jacques Rivette's or Out One, Noli Le Tanger, which is a film from 1971, a 13-hour film mm. um, made up of parts and slowly as, and gradually throughout those eight, those 13 hours, the different parts, as if they were parts of a sort of fusion jazz thing, mm. uh, merge into each other and they form a whole. But we sort of need to see all 13 parts or 13 hours of that movie in order for us to see that there's, so, there's a deep coherence that, uh, and cohesion to all of the different parts. I think that's the same with the new Twin Peaks. And, and some people have been complaining that it's not like the old Twin Peaks. I think we are getting there. I mean, there are points that you can sort now Angelo Badalamenti's music is beginning to become a more prevalent element uh, we're beginning to see those old familiar faces and, and although they look aged and they might not look the same, we're beginning to approach the Twin Peaks we know. We mm. Now we've seen Sparkwood and 21, yeah. that light, right? Yeah. We've seen the double R diner. So uh, I think what they've done is that they've sort of, just like what they did in the Deer Meadows sequence or part of, of Firewalk with me, they've kind of said, we don't want to just cater to their nostalgic sensibility. We just, we don't want to just give them what they think they want. Want to do something that might appear alienating or strange or unfamiliar, but for those who are just a little bit attentive and have just a little bit of patience, they... <laughs> It'll come and, and it'll pay off. But I think uh, in that sense, it's, uh, this is, to me, this is a return of appointment viewing in a time where there are so many so-called quality TV series that, ironically, we've returned to a kind of erratic viewing that was more typical during the soap era of mm. the 50s. You know, those series were made in a way that could be watched by housewives that made a lot of different domestic chores at the same time while they were watching the shows. That's why they're, they're so redundant and uh, keep repeating all the same lines and the same story elements and their flashbacks all the time and stuff like that. That's because they cater to erratic viewers. And I think all of these different great, great TV shows have made us erratic viewers again. By now, you know, we we give a TV series or a streaming series or whatever we call it, we give them like five minutes. And if it's not my style, then I'll definitely turn away. I think they might be, you know, pushing away the very broad audience. But at the other end of that, there's like a couple million viewers worldwide that will watch this as we watch television back in 1990 when we watched Twin Peaks as a water cooler phenomenon that we wait eagerly for each episode and we when we watch it we watch it and we do nothing else we're not toying with our phones at the same time or yeah, uh, yeah. going back and forth as yeah. it should be I mean should be, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. media times have changed right, right. so 
it's kind of it's as if they're saying we need to repair. <laughs> and it seems to me that it is. I don't see it as a political reflection of the times, but it seems to reflect on the times, a time where we don't pay attention. Hmm. We don't pay attention to each other, just like people don't pay attention to to Dougie. I don't. I know that might be you or know yeah. not a realistic element, but still, it 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 also looks like a reference to people not caring or people not hmm. being attentive. The hit and run. The hit and oh. run is kind of like people don't care, you know, anymore. They don't even yeah. st- stop. They don't do anything. Well, he but was on drugs. Still, there is this kind of sense of like, do people yeah. not care anymore about other human beings? Famous to call David Lynch a postmodernist, and I, I I haven't I have never really thought of him that way, to be honest. I know he's. He, there are some clear-cut intertextual references in his work, and it's clearly metafictional in a way. But um, to me, it's 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 sort of not just playful for the sake of being playful. There's a, mm. a major difference between the Lynch and Irvoir to me, and then and then what Tarantino would do, for example. It's not cool, detached, postmodern thing. But I think that there are sort of metafictional references to the way that we should engage, not just with people. But with things we do, things we watch, mm. you know, pay attention. It might take time. It might require something. Mm. Um, we might want to have to see it two or three times in order for us to make sense of everything. And we might have to give it time in order for things to merge. But that's how good art is, right? A, a real art mm. requires something. And it can be a frustrating uh, experience sometimes. I mean, just like Charlotte Stewart said to me, when I talked with her about a race ahead, she said that she'd watched the first long version of that film, and it's only 90 minutes in, mm. in the theatrical version, but it might still feel long to some people. Right? <laughs> but the, the long version was over two hours, and once she'd seen it, David Lynch came up to her apparently and said, so, Char, what did you think? And she said, it felt like a toothache. And then he smiled, laughed, and said, that's good, Shaw. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and to me, that's kind of, that says it all to me. I mean, in a way, I think, of course, Lynch would like people to like his stuff. He would like it to resonate with many people. He's not, he's not trying to be strange or oblique or uh, niche. But I think at the same time, he doesn't want to just cater to the broad audience by doing readily accessible fast food stuff. Definitely. Other people can do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So on Facebook, uh, you mentioned about Rancho Rosa. Can you get into some details of what you've discovered about this estate there in the in the show? Probably not a unique discovery. By now, I think most things have been dis- discussed on Reddit or whatnot. I don't want to take credit for anything that might, you know, just be by now almost, you know, sort of a c- commonsensical. But I just noticed uh, what other people might have noticed too that Rancho Rosa is also the name of uh, of the new company, mm. a production company that Lynch and Frost are a part of, and that also produces the new Twin Peaks. So of course there seems to be sort of a metafictional reference there. At the same time, it's a reference to not just an area, but also to old movies. There's an old movie from there are not not only one but a few. But there's an old movie from 1936, which is which is about double crossing and two sided characters, mm-hmm. and it also is about a federal agent who works undercover. So it's not that it's directly related to this mm-hmm. series, but it led me to believe that this entire Rancho Rosa sequence or plot arc, there's something about that entire arc that seems strange, that entire storyline and the way that world looks. It mm-hmm. seems strange. It, 
I don't think it's just a matter of people not paying attention to Dougie. There's something unrealistic at play there. Mm, There's yeah. an artifice that I I can't believe. You know, like the opening, the first everyone will remember. Every Twin Peaks and David Lynch fan will remember the first time they saw Mulholland Drive, mm. and the first thirty minutes or so of that film, where every once in a while. Most of us, at least those of us who are a little bit naive, and I, I would readily admit to being a little bit naive. I suppose there are times <laughs> when I thought to myself, while I love the music, while I love the images, by golly, that Naomi Watts is bad actor. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, right? and that's, it was, I just loved being toyed with. Yes. I just loved the, the fact that every time I saw it, I, I, it, was, it was kind of a strange sound the first time she arrived at the airport and mm. the lighting is a little too high key and it was kind of soapy in a way. Mm. I, I couldn't really put my, uh, my finger on it, but, um, and then it, you know, it was just a matter of luck pulling all along, and you just had to find out. And then uh, one could be really wowed, right? Uh, displaying that you what know, is not just a good actress, but she's mm. in fact, you know, really great one. And I think, in a way, her way of playing in the Rancho Rosa scenes, perhaps with the uh, exception of the one you mentioned, you mentioned actually, but at least the way she plays when being with Dougie. Mm. seems stagey and yeah. caricature yeah. and seems unrealistically melodramatic and she has a lot of those mannered expressions and stuff uh, and, and even gestures that seem almost one-to-one to mirror things that she does in Mulholland Drive like when she shushes him while uh, being on the phone it's directly one-to-one mm. uh, uh, you know it seems to be a callback to the phone booth scene in the op- uh, in the first part of Mulholland Drive and she wears the same sweater at an earlier episode of Twin Peaks as she does in Mulholland Drive when she opens that bag of money. Again, it looks one-to-one as a callback to Mulholland Drive, again from that first part. So I'm thinking that Rancho Rosa, that entire storyline, we know that it might be manufactured, so it, or that he might be manufactured, mm, yeah. Dougie, but that entire storyline might be manufactured in some way. It might be sort of a different timeline. It might be it might be artificial. It might be constructed. It might be, it might be a dream. We um, yeah. Yeah. many potential readings, but there's one thing I think it isn't. It's just straight realism. Hmm. And Brian, yeah. you you sort of have a theory that the wife is either manufactured or she's she's in on it or something. Yeah, I feel like she, yeah, that was Janie and the son aren't real. I I feel like they're not. They're real maybe, but they're hired. To that, you, you have some yeah, yeah, something like that. The confusing part is that if, if, if Dougie was manufactured, that he would somehow have to be, be brought into this family. Uh, Truman Show, like, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, like Mr. C, I feel like Mr. C or somebody hired her to seek out Dougie and um, yeah. become lovers with him and then marry him yeah. and then watch over him. And it's all a ruse. Like, they're. And she had the kid with him. Like it's not right. their kid; it's her kid. Yeah. 
And now, I don't yeah. share this, but I, yeah. I, I like your theory. I don't yeah, go with yeah. that theory. I really think she's a real person. And I actually think nobody else but no- Naomi Watts can do this performance. I think she is over the top, but I think she's so good at like almost talking to herself. And and she did that in Mulholland Drive. And I feel like she's so good at this too, where like <laughs> Dougie doesn't have to do anything or Cooper doesn't have to do anything. She's just like talk, 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 talk. And yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think she's still yeah. amazing, even though I agree with, I think you guys, that she is a little over the top. And I think she's over yeah. the top, but she's definitely over the top in an intentional way. Yeah, I mean, yeah. far from thinking that she's a bad actress at this mm. point in time. And I don't think I ever really thought that in Mulholland Drive, but when I watched it, I was kind of confused a little bit at mm. the first part of it uh, because there was so much going on that I thought this was just genuinely, you know, visceral. This is just mm. the best thing I've ever watched. And then there was were a couple of things that were kind of off. And I think that he's that's what... I suppose we should say David Lynch and Mark Frost, but it goes for David Lynch in general. I think that's what he's so good at. You kind of have that feeling that something is slightly off. And you're right, she's she's incredible in mm. this. And even at a purely simple textual level, I mean, it's just a very, very funny comment on marriage. I mean, yeah. uh, yeah. uh, I mean, it seems as if wives in, in, in the new Twin Peaks are, you know, just so incredibly annoying. Yes. <laughs> um, like Truman's wife too, right? Yeah, She's yeah. A, a nagging ball buster. It seems that's what she does. Yeah. <laughs> and, and some people have argued that that's sort of misogynistic and stuff. No, 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 not at all. Right. And uh, I don't think, I don't see it that way at all. There's just an interesting dynamic going on, but there are things with Janie's character that I'm still thinking are strange. I mean, mm the way she reacts to him and the way she's kind of always a little bit annoyed with him. But, <laughs> always, uh, always. but then when she finds out that he's seeing a prostitute, it's not as if she's really angry. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that's kind she's of just more, another thing that she's yeah, kind of annoyed, annoyed about. Right. Yeah. She's more annoyed, but I almost felt like she was more like, how can I fix this? Not like, Oh yeah. my God, let's get a divorce. It's just like, I'm gonna pay off these guys, get them off our back, and and that's. that's we'll talk why, about Jade later on. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, and that's why I feel like a part of me feels like she's a hired person to well, I will watch say, him. I, you know, I'm being being married. There, are, I think sometimes partners. There's, 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 you know, in a relationship, some some people are more controlling and they keep they yeah. keep it going going. In my my relationship, my wife probably keeps everything going, and I'm kind of like dreamy and like la 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 la. Everything. You're Dougie. <laughs> I'm Dougie. Yeah. I'm kind of Dougie. I'm kind of yeah. like somehow. I suppose I'm the Dougie of my relationship too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> somehow we have food, yes, and the bills are paid, and, and things are happening. My children are are fed. I don't know how this all happens. Ben's just like, it's amazing. It all just happens by itself. But then I didn't, I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, I mean, Justin LaFleur had an interesting comment, right? He actually argued that um, that while this entire storyline with Dougie it, or this Ranch Rosa part of the story might be, in a way, metafictional, it might be constructed, it might be, uh, might be artificial or dreamlike or whatever, uh, it could also be uh, sort of... Um, in a way, an homage to Warren Frost, um, mm. whom, whom Mark Frost lost to Alzheimer's yeah, in, in February. And it seems like the new, that's part of what I lo- love so much about the return. Mm. Uh, they've, I call them intradiegetic eulogies. They've mm. sort of inserted these small eulogies, not just the dedications at the end of the different parts, but 
they have these scenes where we are reminded of actors and actresses mm. that were once there and, and they where the actor or the actress and the and the character they kind of meld into each other. Like the the scene from part three where we have uh, Don Davis face, you know, guy, we have yeah, that superimposition yeah. that looks almost like a racer head. That scene immediately made me think of, oh, geez, we don't have Don Davis anymore. Yeah, and, yeah. oh, geez, that's like a racer head. Oh, geez, we don't have Jack Nance anymore. Yeah. And the scene with Catherine Coulson, right? Uh, like those scenes with her in, in the first part, tattering seemed like that was just, you know, Catherine Coulson being channeled through the log lady. My last thought about the whole Cooper and this life, I feel like this is a hero's journey. In a way, this is like the road not taken. Like, Cooper is supposed to be FBI, and his his life, his career is to the work of FBI. But what if he had gone another direction and gotten married and had a child and, mm. and had your normal nine-to-five job of going to work? And so in some ways, this is kind of like the road not, not taken, I feel, that he's like, what would life yeah. have been like? The opposite he, of right, Cooper. If he had not gone and become an FBI, what, maybe what he could have been doing. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's, I, that's an that's an interesting point. And 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 if and if we kind of venture down that road, it seems as if you know, uh, living in uh, in suburbia is, uh, is is about as hellish an experience as <laughs> living in a room. I mean, yeah, that's <laughs> and funny. I was asked to introduce Blue Velvet at this uh, at a, Dan- a Danish cinema where they just uh, acquired the British version of it uh, still on celluloid so I was mm. you know I was uh, psyched I love that movie and I was standing in front of that audience and then I just said a few words about it and we saw the movie and then I had to wrap it up afterwards and once I'd seen it I think I've seen Blue Velvet at least 20 times mm. so after upon upon watching it again I I I can't, I, I, I had what I thought was kind of an epiphany, but it might not have been an epiphany, but um, at least nobody in, in, the, in the entire room seemed to share my feeling of it being an epiphany. <laughs> but, but the classic reading of it is we have the opening and then the camera zooms into the ear, just superimposed while he's wandering down the street, uh, Jeffrey Beaumont, and then um, the middle section of the movie might be a dream. Now we're inside his head, and then mm. we zoom out from his ear as he's lying in that uh, chair at the end of the movie. Wow. I that's, like a, that. I suppose, a classic. That's a classic reading of it, I suppose. Yeah. Or, uh, almost like a Wizard of Oz thing. It changes in color scheme and a lot of different things. So mm. it seems to make sense to have a, that, like sort of a three-act structure where the beginning and the ending are reality, and then we have sort of a dream in the middle. Yeah. But yeah, then I, like I came that. to thinking about how do we change from the middle to the last part? We do that when Sandy, sort of just after Sandy has said, where's my dream? Hmm. And she's talked about uh. the robins and stuff. And where's my dream? And then we cut to the robin, which is so f- yeah. an artificial one. You can't believe it. And it's as if, well, there's your dream. Yes, your dream is a dream of suburbia. Oh. And that is just as fake as anything <laughs> and just as hellish in a way as that middle section, which might take place in sort of a gangster noir-like mm. area where a lot of people, are, you know, die and abuse each other. But that slow motion fireman waving and uh, mm. that seems eerie in a different way. So yeah. perhaps... And and that made sense to me, you know, thinking that, 
originally they were going to use this mortal coils or not this mortal coils but the original version of that song that that is used in lost highway right mm. song of the siren something about i dreamed you dreamed of me so perhaps that's sandy's dream she's mm. dreaming that jeffrey dreams of her and that he would want to share that suburban that suburban life with her mm. and his dream is the middle section of the film mm. so perhaps there in a way there is no reality there's just a there are just different perspectives different dreams, different experiences. Mm. And if we look at the new Twin Peaks in the same way, sort of from an experiential level, it might be a matter of whose point of view are we sharing? Whose dream are we in? Whose perspective are we seeing this from? More than it, what's reality and what's not reality. Yeah, I like that a lot. Well, thank you, Andreas. Yeah, that was really was awesome. Lot. It's so cool. I mean, a lot to think about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I always love your so, perspective. I always yeah. do the, like the, the, the way you look at things. So that is really cool. Well, give it a few weeks and it'll all sound stupid. But thank you anyway. No, it, it's just another, <laughs> I know. I think every week things are changing. but uh, uh, It's that, great. Yeah. yeah. So how can people follow you and, and learn more about your work? Yeah, I'm writing stuff all the time on Facebook. People are welcome to uh, befriend me there if they ever want to. That's just my name you know Andreas mm. how's going and uh, otherwise uh, I haven't really uh, written that much for my blog lately but I have a blog and then it's called the Royal Room, the Red Room but I haven't used it that much because I've been working so much on these uh, sort of old-fashioned written projects mm. that, uh, that need to come out later this year so um, Twitter, Facebook would be the most obvious choices, I suppose. And I'm part of a few Twin Peaks forums, just uh, as well as you are. But yeah. I had sort of a period where I, I couldn't be in those forums for just a while because, you know, it took up so much of my <laughs> no. time. I, I just wanted to be there all the time. And yeah. now I'm kind of I'm, I'm kind of getting back, you know. I'm, I'm finding my legs again. I suppose you'll find me there too once in a while, liking stuff or commenting or whatever. Yeah. And when do, when is your when do you think your book will be out? Well, I'm I'm certainly hoping that uh, the Art of Paradox will be out um, during the fall. Uh, I'm working on it as we speak, and I've I've acquired some uh, some images for it, and so everything is there but i haven't written all of it yeah. so um and it takes a little time for me because english isn't neither my first nor my second language mm. so uh, but it's all interview stuff has been done um the the sort of the the structure is there and i've written parts of it so um it should come out at the end of the year and then uh, what joe Baco and i i have sort of agreed on is that we wanted to be done with a script at the beginning of 2018, ho hoping that it can come out sort of in, mm. you know, after the final episode has mm. been shown and at least of this, this part of Twin Peaks. And then we've been able to read the final dossier and uh, hopefully that can come out in the, in, in the spring of 2018. Awesome. Um, that's great. Yeah. A lot to look forward Let's to. See. Yeah. A lot to look forward yeah. to. Well, thank you so much, Andreas. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Andreas, for being on our show for the second week. We hope to have you on again in the future. But, Ben, how can people get a hold of us if they have a comment, theory, or question? Well, you can write to us at TwinPeaksUnwrapped at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter and on Facebook. Brian's always on Facebook. I'm usually on Twitter. Um, ben, if believe it or not, 
I will just throw some community feedback. It is 12, almost 12.30 in the morning, uh, Monday morning, after watching this. So, holy smokes. So, I posted a photo. I posted our, the photo of the week of, of uh, Gordon Cole and Diane hugging each other after Diane. We didn't talk about this. I'll mention it right now. After Diane telling Gordon, that is not him there's something missing um we need to talk and did you notice mr c's eyes were completely black mm. I, uh, I they haven't been black the whole season yes they've been black the entire season so i have we got everybody's writing comments and i'm just going to read the last thing this is this week's community feedback robert perry wrote how did um, I caught two brown trout in my pajamas? Was his favorite quote from uh, from uh, Doc Hayward, which was really funny. Mm-hmm. And also, how did she write in the diary if Harold had the diary before Annie visited her? Which we talked about. It still messes with my mind. I it's either a she puts it in her second diary, where she had two diaries. One of them she gave to Harold, and one she still had, which the police found. Or she wrote wrote it on separate pieces of paper, and it was supposed to be part of the diary that just never got, you know, put in. This person says, Ben, a friend of mine says there's a scene in the missing pieces where she gets the diary back, but I don't remember such a scene. Do you remember such a scene? I don't remember a scene where she would have gotten it back. No. No, that doesn't sound familiar. Yeah, so the conversation is going very nicely on our Facebook page. So so please join in at Twin Peaks Unwrapped on Facebook. And you can can listen to us every week at iTunes. Please subscribe. Give us that five-star review. Um, We appreciate all the feedback and getting us in that top 100 on iTunes, the charts we, there. A lot of times we've been in the top 50. We've been really blessed to be part of that top 50. Bouncing around. There. Yeah. yeah, it's awesome. Uh, so thank you. And you can now find us on Google Play. Um, please, if you use Google Play, let us know how that's working out. I don't have Google Play. We're there. I just want to know how it how it is for people. Um, we're on Stitcher, so you can listen to us in those uh, ways. And at the end of the week, Ben has been posting us on YouTube. So many ways to listen to us. And TwinPeaksUnwrapped.com. Just go right there. Next week, Brian. Next week, <laughs> Cooper's back. All right, Ben. Let's see if that comes true. I hope. Fingers crossed. No more Dougie. Let's get the full coop. Uh, see you next week. <laughs>